As a student at the Merchant Marine Academy, Jordan Wiseman was shown a computer simulation that was used to train maritime pilots. That simulation left him with a desire to create simulations for video games that people could enjoy together. And that's exactly what Jordan Wiseman did throughout his game development career that piggybacked off his success as the creator of the Battletech universe. Today we're going to tell you Jordan's story, starting with the creation of his company, the FASA Corporation, and following it through the creation of Battletech and his whole video game development career. Along the way, we'll learn all about the Battletech universe and touch on the history of the many video games that exist within it. So strap into your mech and get ready for battle as we take today's trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 132nd episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, a technology, just something relevant to this week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about the history of Jordan Wiseman and his creation, the Battletech universe, and the video games that it has inspired, starting with Battletech, the Crescent Hawks Inception, originally released for the Amiga in 1988. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who just loves riding big mechanized things. It's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, those are technically robots, aren't they? I mean, let's classify them as such. It's quite a ride. Oh, you know it, baby. <laughs> the best. <laughs> and also joining us today is my twin brother, but only by name, Dave Seely. Dave, it's about fucking time. Welcome. It's about, it's about time, Dave. It's, Rob, it's, thanks for having me. It's about time. Yes uh dave welcome welcome so i thanks L I long time listener first time guest <laughs> so you know first time guest earliest gaming memory on a whim go oh uh commodore 64 um had it in the house growing up that was our first uh like home computer and first uh like gaming system you know looking back on it uh i remember playing i want to say it was like gradius or something also had a like a a learning game with a wizard in a, in a cave who would like correct you if you were wrong. And he would say close, but not quite. Um, and like a spy game with a car that could turn into a motorcycle and a plane. There we go. Those are the oh, that ones. one was good. And it played the spy hunter theme. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I, that sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I, I can't I, remember yeah. the name of it, but that's, a, I know that one. Spy I, hunter. No, it was not. It was the, um, oh shit, I can't remember the song now. It doesn't matter. Moving on. Um, yeah, Rob, what are you playing? What What's what's on your gaming table this week? Well, this week has saw some Rocket League, some RuneScape, some Roller Coaster Tycoon World, <laughs> and some Factorio. Yes. Which... How about yourself? 
uh, Rocket League and Factorio, I believe is it. Dave, what have you been playing? I don't even know what you're up to. I I, I don't. What have you been playing? <laughs> I, I play outside with a toddler. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I knew the answer to that. I've been uh, playing some uh, Fire Emblem Conquest because I'm about six Fire Emblem games behind current and uh, a little bit of Fire Emblem Heroes, and and that's really about it. I don't get a ton of dedicated gaming time, and my PC is... Uh, Roasty um, toasty? But the, the PC's fine. The graphics card's shot, so... <laughs> we, we may have burnt it up. Mm. It's a, it's a uh, manufacturer yeah. error that was caught like two years after it was released, and so anyone who bought it, it's boned. Oh, lovely. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, oddly enough, the one of the, I mean, a game in the franchise we're talking about today, it's one of the games you can kind of play, isn't it? I, I can I can play it unless you volley uh, SRMs at me and then the game crashes. So uh, I love yeah, that it's something so specific. Mech Warrior Online, yeah, I can I can do a little bit of that. All right, well, Rob, I'm gonna start with you. You, what's your familiarity with the BattleTech universe? Uh, the familiarity I have is from the video I watched today. Oh, cool! So, so barely none. Yeah, nope, nope, not not BattleTech. I mean, I, I've heard of RoboTech. Get out! Uh, but <laughs> just go home. I, yeah, that's that's all I got. I mean, luckily I am home, so I already abide by that one. Which uh, which which video did you watch? Uh, there was a playthrough by Gaming J. Of the Crescent Hawks game or a different one? Crescent Hawks Inception. Okay. Okay. On the other hand, Dave, what is your familiarity with the Battletech universe? <laughs> so, oh man. So my older brother, my only brother, um, would play various role-playing games with friends, and they went through a stretch of playing Battletech um, when I was younger, and so I, w- I would see some of the maps and the minis and, and like the, the mech sheets. And then um, a cousin of mine used to play, and again would, would see the the, max, the the mechs and the maps and the, the sheets and things like that. Uh, my first real hands-on experience was uh, playing, I believe it was Mech Warrior at a friend's house. Uh, and this would have been maybe 93-ish. So the game at that point would have been a couple years old. But this would have been the first game where you're actually you know, in the cockpit moving around and, and blowing up the mechs. Um, since then, I've probably played close to a dozen different uh, MechWarrior Battletech video games. Everything from mo- most of the actual MechWarrior series. Uh, MechWarrior 3050, which was like the isometric SNES MechWarrior game. Mm-hmm. Um some mech assault on the xbox with my friend cassidy uh mech warrior online battletech yeah i've i've, I've put a, f- a few hours into those games and then i i've also uh dabbled in the the tabletop game as well so you have some familiarity i oddly enough for all of that i, w- I would call myself a, a roughly a medium battletech fan i <laughs> i love that phrase i'm a medium fan yeah, I, I know enough to, to, to tell you about the various eras of play and that the history covers over 500 years of of future activity and there's great houses and clans and mechs, but uh, when I talk to my friends who are really into it, I, I know nothing. 
I mean, that's kind of the way all these all these hobbies work. There's always someone to one up you. There, so. There's there's a lot of people to one up me. That's true. BattleTech is is big. It's been around for a long, long time. Um, it's older than we are. What? Uh, close. Actually, it's it's as old as we are. About. It's about as old as we are. We'll get there. It goes back pretty far. Uh, you know, today we're going to learn about the story of Jordan Wiseman, who is one of the creators of Battletech. And throughout his schooling, you know, Wiseman always had trouble learning. He had he suffered from dyslexia and it was something that he always fought with. He really struggled with school. When he was about 16, he was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons, and he said that that was life changing for him. It provided an incentive for him to actually learn reading well. And and it was kind of the thing that what, that sparked a love for, for role-playing games, right? So Jordan grew up in Chicago, near Lake Michigan, and always enjoyed going and watching the boats sailing. So after he graduated high school, he enrolled in the Merchant Marine Academy. You know, he didn't have good grades and wasn't really skilled and with that learning disability he really felt like he didn't have many options so he you know he rolled in the marine academy merchant marine academy and while he was there he was given a half hour tour of a computer bridge simulator that the school used to train maritime pilots now jordan was really impressed by it and he decided that he wanted to build something similar for gaming purposes so he left school and he tried to secure funding for a multiplayer simulator project. He did not succeed. He was not successful doing that at all. But the spark was always there. He was a fan of role playing. He knew he wanted to do something different with it. So in 1980, he partnered up with another uh, Marine Merchant Academy student, L. Ross Babcock. They each had $175 to their name and they put it together and with $350, they founded, is it the FASA? Is that how you say it? Do you know, Dave? FASA, yeah. Yeah, they founded the FASA Corporation. So FASA is a play on NASA. Uh, it's called the Fredonian Aeronautics and Space Administration. Fredonia is their nod to the 1933 Marx Brothers silent film called Duck Soup. A classic. 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 Marx Brothers films are always classic films. So initially, the FASA Corporation was producing supplement material as a licensee for a game designer's workshop role-playing game. It was a science fiction role-playing game called Traveler. They established themselves afterwards as a major player in the role-playing genre in 1982 when they published the first licensed Star Trek RPG, actually called Star Trek RPG. And that kind of got him, got him going. That that really got him going. So in 1983, Jordan Wiseman developed the, you know, as part of the FASA Corporation, he published a board game named Combots. Dave, you ever heard of Combots before? I have not. So as the game's back cover, took this right off the game's back cover, Combots are highly versatile, heavily armed, and extremely mobile robots. Their intricate electronic circuits have been programmed to achieve a single goal, total destruction of the enemy. Combat soldiers have become the mainstay of every modern army. Combat gladiators engage in single combat to the delight of millions in every star system. 
Now you can experience the thrill of controlling one of these massive machines. You can design and equip your combats with the best equipment, of best combination of equipment for speed, strength, and endurance. Then lead your combat armies into large-scale futuristic battles or send your best design into the arena to defeat your opponent's champion in single combat. So that's 1983. They published Combats. Uh, FASA puts it out, and it, it, it doesn't do well. It, it's not received very well. It doesn't sell well. It, it's, for most people, barely a footnote in history. But what it did do for Wiseman and the FASA Corporation was they kind of learned what to do and what not to do. And they took what worked and they took what didn't work. And frankly, they moved on. So in 1984, the following year, they published a military science fiction board game called Battle Droids. Now, Battle Droids was a tabletop board game that consisted of giant robot combat. Do you go as far back as Battle Droids? I I know I know that that was the original name, and then they they yeah, lost there. They had they to lost, change it for they lost the name reasons. Yeah, and this is where we get the basis for 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 everything we're going to talk about today. So the back cover is the basis, Dave. That you're going to be able to elaborate on this. So a dark age has fought, befallen mankind, right? Where once reigned the United Star League, five successor states now battle for control. That sounds so exciting. <laughs> oh, yes. Wars destruction ravaged the once flourishing worlds and left them in ruins. The advancement of technology has not only ceased, but the machines and equipment of the past cannot be produced by present day worlds. Now, the succession wars are fought over water, ancient machines, and spare parts factories for control of these elements that will lead to the final victory and domination of all known worlds. The battlefields of the succession wars are dominated by the most awesome war machines in man's history, the battle droids. These huge man-shaped vehicles are faster, more mobile, better armored, and more destructive than a battalion of 20th century tanks. Now you can control the battle droids, infantry, and tanks in this exciting game of warfare in the 30th century successor states. So what year? You said 3050, but that's not the first year. What year is this the Battletech universe take place in roughly? Uh, for Crescent Hawk's Inception? Uh, just in general, the universe itself. <laughs> Between... Uh... <laughs> I know the the early two thousands and the year thirty one fifty and beyond. Yeah, so it's, de- it's depending on which which era you want to play in. Yeah, it's quite it's quite a it's quite a big period. Yes, quite quite a big period. And as Dave alluded to, Battle Droids, it, it was a success. Uh, they sold all their copies, but when it came time to reprint it for a second edition, the team learned that the term droid was trademarked by George Lucas uh, of Star Wars fame. Duh. Never heard of it. Never heard of it? <laughs> Never. That's a... You maybe want to go look into that. You're missing a whole nother universe, actually. <laughs> so that being said, the second printing of this game was renamed to Battletech 2nd Edition. Battle Droids remained the first, first edition. And the back cover got a reprint, too. The whole background made the same. There's five successor states fighting the succession wars to dominate the world, you know, um, but the rest of it kind of gets a little makeover. We learned we learn we learn about all that. And as it reads, one, Battletech, 
the study and implementation of battlefield technology. Two, battle mech, ranging in height from 7 to 15 meters, weighing 10 to 100 tons, they carry more firepower than a 20th century tank battalion. Mech warrior, three, brave men and women who are 31st century knights piloting their mechs into battle, serving one of the five houses or in the employ of a mercenary company or bandit king. I like bandit king. These warriors are the most respected and feared individuals in the galaxy. Now you're a mech warrior and the time has come for you to go into the battle. And I love this last line on it. It reads in the 30th century, life is cheap, but battle mechs aren't (laughs) (laughs) nice. It's true. It's very true. I, I just, I love, I love. And then after that, it reads battle tech is the second edition of battle droids. So but it's I mean that's that's phenomenal. That that's uh that that's phenomenal. It's, it's very eighties and it's it's very it, it's very that evocative. So you're so right. It's so eighties. Life is cheap of battle mechs art. That is so eighties. Which which I think sort of uh spe- speaks to a running theme in, in Battletech in the Battletech universe and the lore, which is uh <laughs> a lot of things just sort of stop changing in the eighties. <laughs> And haven't changed since. Yeah. Even, if, even if it's been eleven hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there. I mean, there's uh, there's yeah reasons too. With BattleTech, the second edition is a tabletop game. Um, BattleTech was established as a tabletop gaming series that has just grown over time. As you know, it still exists today. In 1986, Fasa published a standalone game called City Tech, which is labeled as the BattleTech game of urban combat. It's right on the box. In 1992, we got a third edition of Battletech. It replaced the paper cutout, playing pieces in the originals with plastic miniatures. Um, so you would have been introduced to it sometimes after that if you saw the miniatures, right? What, what year was that again? 92 would have been third edition. Yeah, I probably would have. I, I, I may have seen a couple of the minis. I may also be conflating a few different memories. But uh, I've definitely... Uh, the the company that still makes the metal Battletech minis is actually not terribly far from where I live, but I will not share their name, and uh, and so uh, just sort of by virtue of existing, I, I've seen a fair bit of them over the course of my life. Yeah. At this point in Battletech's history, there were some significant changes in its design, and other things just kind of stayed put. Dave alluded to. You see, when FASA created the Battle Droids board game in 1984, they didn't actually want to go through the motions of creating their own robots. Uh, so they licensed a number of mecha designs from a company named 20th Century Imports. These were designs from various Japanese series, including the Super Dimensions, Fortress Macross, Fang of the Sun Dugram. Dugram? Dugram. I have never heard of that one. Have either of you? I, I've heard of it, but I, I couldn't tell you how to say it. You're asking me? Yeah. Well, you never know. You you watch some of this weird stuff. I don't. No, that's you. <laughs> and Crusher Joe. So desi- mech designs from various Japanese series. But as I later found out after being served with a lawsuit, TCI, 20th Century Imports, probably didn't have the legal standing to, well, sell them the rights of these figures. So in 1996, FASA settled a lawsuit out of court, which included forfeiting the right to use all the images in question. Uh, But that was really a major problem, because up until that point, these were the designs of all of their mechs, everything. 
So they had to go through and change the graphics, the models, the rule books. You know, each of these mechs had their own history. So, you know, how, how do you really go about changing at that point? What's that 10 years of of lore around all these mechs? And the answer is you really don't, <laughs> I guess. That was their solution. All of these mechs became known as the Unseen, which is a term I kept seeing. I had to look this up. It's really fascinating. They basically lost visual rights to them. So all these classical units exist within the Battletech universe and lore by name only, but there's no visual representation of them. I mean, that got a little, that with the more closer to now stuff, it got a little more muddy. But I guess back in that period, Dave, like the 90s, there would have been Unseen because it was the fourth edition of Battletech published in 96. They had to completely redesign the game with 24 new mechs that weren't part of the classic lore of the game. Does that make sense? Yeah, so they they could keep the names and the lore behind them. They just couldn't look like the the anime sources. So yeah. it, it's been a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's definitely a thing. They got a name and I mean, they're literally called the Unseen. And it's really cool that like they like, I mean, they still exist in this universe. They're just they're 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 not seen it's just such a it's a really it's fascinating to me that they did it that way so so, so for the, the listeners that aren't familiar if you if you play the tabletop game and you flip to one of the rule books from those eras and on that page it'll just have the text and and like the rules for that particular mech but it, it won't it just because it's unseen no pictures uh and then it'll just go to the next page and there's a picture of the mech and how cool it looks and I don't want to step on your toes, but uh, it there, it sort of gets changed a little bit in a couple different ways. It does. Yeah, it does. It does. I don't really talk about that too much, to be honest with you, because the licensing all gets muddy as the history goes on. So during all this mess, FASA is growing, you know, through all these this decade, relatively decade, um, just after the release of Battletech in, you know, in the 80s, Jordan Wiseman brings on his father, Mort Wiseman, to the company the company starts to diversify into books and miniature figures. Now, if you'll recall in the beginning, Jordan Wiseman had left the Merchant Marine Academy after watching a bridge simulator, and he wanted to do something similar in gaming. Now, that was a desire that never really left him through all of this. So the Facet team, as it grows, really starts to license out the work for the 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 role-playing business the book work it's licensed out the miniature goes to various companies as you know dave mentioned once closer to him i mean this this work all starts to go elsewhere because wiseman really wanted to work on the development of computer-based video games in particular he and his father were very interested in virtual reality so their first endeavor in gaming was in 1987 in which jordan and his father mort founded a company called Environmental Simulations Project, really a throwback to what he what he saw in the beginning, and this was later renamed to Virtual Worlds Entertainment. Now, they worked with Incredible Technologies. Incredible Technology makes the Golden T arcade games. That's what they're best known for. They worked with Incredible Technologies to develop what are called Battletech Centers. They were very large entertainment venues where players could engage in multiplayer virtual combat mech on mech. Now the first one opened in Chicago in 1990 
and it consisted of at least the centers all consisted of at least 16 networked pods. They were fully enclosed cockpits with multiple screens, joysticks, rudder pedals. They were basically simulation mech simulations. And for all intents and purposes, they were the world's first immersive network location-based virtual reality gaming centers. That's quite a mouthful, but that's technically what they were. Dave, did you ever get a chance to play at a Battletech Center? I have. What was your experience with it? I played at uh, Gen Con, which is a gaming convention in Indianapolis. And for most of the years that I've attended, they've they've had the a, a team brings the, the Battletech pods. And right. it is... It's pretty wild. You you got to buy an event ticket, wait in line, and then they you know they'll have a synchronized drop. So it's something like a, like a maybe a twelve to sixteen player free for all. And when you're done, they they've got a laptop that's printing out your score, and you know uh, you, you get to put in your call sign. So as you're as you're running around shooting people, you hear someone yell, you know, who's that DK or whatever. And it's it's uh, it just you know it doesn't it doesn't shake it doesn't twist and turn or anything like that to to my um memory but um it's just really neat to kind of be in like this enclosed area just you know duking it out and firing your lasers i mean all virtual experiences are cool in my opinion at least especially back then when there wasn't anything else i mean but was was that gen con i know they still travel was that more recently that you did that that would have been uh, 2019, if gotcha. uh, memory serves. The I do not recall. So Gen Con 2020 was canceled. I yep. don't think they made it for 21. And I don't recall if they were there for 22. The, you know, the machines are expensive. Yep. Uh, they run on old software. Yep. Obviously, they're big to move. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's only two centers left correct that still have them operational and it's definitely a, a labor of love but uh i hope they hope they make it back because it's, it's a good it's a good 30 minutes to uh you know a good way to spend 30 minutes at least yeah there were eventually 26 battle tech centers all across the world you know they they migrated into japan a few years later and just kept expanding they were critical successes meaning gamers loved them and critics loved them but they were not commercially successful for reasons that dave just mentioned they're big and bulky and expensive one by one all the battle tech centers across the globe closed were sold off and today as he said there are two public battle tech centers left one's in minnesota at twin cities arcade and the other one is at a place in houston texas i can't remember the name of it and then of course there are pods that travel with the gaming conventions but many of the pods from the 26th ones around the world now exist in private collections with private hands and they have formed a pod community where they still work to update the software and the equipment and and make these things work and the community go on which is which is which is very cool so while jordan and mort and virtual worlds entertainment are busy working with their virtual reality endeavor Battletech as a universe expanded into video games. Of course, today we're here because of the very first one, the Battletech, the Crescent Hawks Inception. In 1988, Westwood Associates, Westwood, of course, we learn about in our Command and Conquer episode, very famous for making Command and Conquer and Dune 2, the very first real-time strategy game. 
they licensed the Battletech name and they created a turn-based role-playing game called Battletech the Crescent Hawks Inception. I didn't play this one. I don't have any familiarity with it. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend that I do. Rob, you said you watched a video of it today? Uh, yeah, the video, I, I mean, I watched a partial playthrough, uh, mostly uh, everything that occurs within the training area in the first section of the game. So gave a little background into, um, you know, the sea bills, uh, the, the currency in game, uh, the different kind of mechs there were, um, the different, you know, you could train in small arms. Um, and then that's the start of the story where you have the incursion. You know, they, they come in and they start fucking shit up. Dave, you said that Mech Warrior was your introduction, right? Correct. Yeah, me too. We'll get to that in a second. I did. I did play. Uh, a, I would say about thirty minutes of Crescent Hawks Inception uh, to to prepare for this, and uh, a game hasn't aged well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I imagine it hasn't. I mean, I watched the videos, but I, you know, that's a that's about it. No, it hasn't aged well, and. What's really fascinating about all these games that I didn't go into it too much is they all kind of, I mean, the battle tech is thousands of that. We talked about a big universe, lots of people, lots of mechs, lots of time. And they all kind of delve into it. Like these different parts of the universe, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. They, there's a couple, um, popular eras. So a lot of the early games take place during the succession wars, the mech warrior series, if memory serves, comes towards the end of those and then also uh, touches on the clan invasion. And then um, they had a, you know, not only has Battletech been video games and role-playing games and the, the tabletop war game, it's also had a collectible card game and a collectible miniature game. Yep. And the collectible miniature game is the entire Dark Age era. So there's all sorts of, uh, you know, like, what do you want to experience? They, they've probably got something for you. But in general, the Succession Wars and the Clan Invasion are the two most popular eras. In 1990, Westwood followed up Crescent Hawks Inception with a sequel. It was titled Battletech the Crescent Hawks Revenge. Unlike the first game, it was not another role-playing game. They built a specific engine. It's more technically categorized as a real-time tactic games. And it doesn't do much of note, but uh, if you trace and look back, um, it's certainly agreed that you can start to see some of the design elements that Westwood would put into the real-time strategy genre because their next game was Dune 2, which is the first technical real-time strategy game, which we also covered in a previous episode. And it's really really easy to see the, like, the design inspirations from game to game to game. You know, we talked about here, the Crescent Hawks Revenge, as leads to Dune 2. You know, when we did Dune 2, we talked about how it gave a lot to Command & Conquer. And of course, we talked in the Command & Conquer episode about all the things that Command & Conquer took from Dune 2. And so if you look at here at Westwood's history, you can see this clear, this clear kind of progression uh, as they delved into this genre after, of course, I think their first big hit, if I remember correctly, was Eye of the Beholder. And then they started diving into all these 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 role-playing games so yeah so you had crescent hoss revenge and that brings us to 1989 where a development studio called dynamix created a game called mech warrior which was the first video game offering players a chance to pilot a battle mech from the view 
of 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 a, of being a, a battle mech pilot, which is a mech warrior. That's technically what a mech warrior is. Dave, this is where you started. Yeah. So I remember playing at my friend's house, and his older brother was playing mech warrior on the computer, and you know, go getting excited about the different weapons he was getting and hoping for salvage and and just get you know trying to negotiate for for contracts and. And I was a little too young to appreciate it, but it was pretty much the coolest thing that I had seen all that weekend. So uh, it, it definitely like never left my uh, my my consciousness after that. Now that game was brought over to the SNES in '93, uh, but they updated the graphics using the Mode Seven concept on the Super Nintendo, whereas the original PC one had flat shaded 3D graphics. And then you also talked about MechWarrior 3050 on the SNES, right? Yes. What do you remember about that one? I believe I rented that from our local video store. Uh, it was not a big name one. It was literally a one location video store. I would walk there, uh, grab a, a movie or a video game on like a Friday night and kind of have a, a free weekend. And I, I, I shot and blew up stuff all weekend long. <laughs> nice <laughs> it's a great weekend in my book that's phenomenal i mean so I, i'd hit up the liquor or the party store on the way back and get like a pizza and yeah. uh a two liter because of course you you yep. it's the 90s and you don't drink anything less than a two liter uh <laughs> and uh it's man it's a uh, good good times i would have stopped at the party store to get a two liter of fago and whatever candy like lemon heads i think were my thing at the time they're still my thing so so at that point, after MechWarrior, the franchise was licensed to Activision, and Activision developed MechWarrior 2 in 1995. Now, MechWarrior 2 is my personal entry to the Battletech universe. This game came about in a period like that was the mid 90s. That's when 3D graphics were just they were called 3D graphic accelerators at the time. They were really just exploding in popularity, and MechWarrior 2 was designed to take advantage of that. And I remember not getting it to always work, because back then, like, you had to start games with weird DOS commands if your computer couldn't take care of it, like low graphics mode or stuff like that. And we really had a computer at the time that did it. But I did get it to work. And I remember being so in awe of sitting in the cockpit of a giant robot blowing other giant robots up. And it stands out in my mind the same way some other games from that era that are simulators do, like we've talked about racing games and flight simulators. It stands out in my mind with those simulators thinking like, this is what gaming could be like sitting there and getting to simulate stuff that I would never get to do otherwise and how cool and realistic. It's so funny that you think about this. I go back to 95. I'm like, Oh my God, this is so realistic, but how freaking cool and realistic is this? that I'm sitting in the cockpit of a, of a Mac. The, honestly, they've always done a really good job of communicating the scale of the game. Oh, and so, to, it's so great to just make you feel sort of the, the power of towering over everybody else and the infantry is tiny little ants and yep. it just, yeah, it's uh, definitely gets you in the mood pretty fast. 
And this is one of those ones where I like, I remember that I wanted to actually like do simulation. Like I wanted to get joysticks and, you know, control things that way. And that was such a fledgling concept at the time. But this was just one of those games that just stuck out in my mind as like, this is what it could be. And it will be. And also too, like I think back to that time and I would have never imagined where we are now back then ever ever i would have never imagined i mean now you could put a a, a, a virtual reality headset on and, and get a similar experience kind of sort of but you know what i mean yeah uh, no it's it's uh we've, we've come a long way and yet uh it's still yeah uh it still holds up in, in a lot of respects yeah 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 so the series got another graphical boost in 99 when zipper interacted developed mech warrior 3 um, but realistically, as, as all these games are coming out, as Activision, Zipper, everyone's doing their thing, Jordan Wiseman still has that video game itch. You know, in 1995, he founded uh, Bassa Interactive with his dad, Mort, because he still wants to be interested. He's still interested in personally taking over the development and production of the MechWarrior franchise from the video game concept. And so they founded found Bassa Interactive. Bassa Corporation licenses licenses the Battletech name to Bassa Interactive in exchange for stock in its company. That's the way they did it. And so the license at that point, some of the license is held by Bassa Interactive and they go to work on a new MechWarrior game. And this one becomes MechWarrior 4, which was released for PCs in November of 2000. Dave, you you've said you played most of these iterations of it. Yeah, so the later MechWarrior games I would have only played very little of, um, either not having access to the game um, or maybe not having a computer that could run it or maybe just kind of being in college and not yeah, really having time for it. For sure. Um, but I I did, did not play 4. I'll jump ahead and uh, I, I have played 5 until the uh, previously I mentioned... Uh, broken graphics card stop letting me play it so. <laughs> yeah i mean because mech warrior 4 came out in november of 2000 a few years later we were in college that's where we met playing yeah. battlefield and you know blowing each other up on... that, 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 let's, let's let's save that for another episode <laughs> <laughs> the battle tech centers at this point they're gaining popularity throughout this whole period and the technology that goes into the battle tech centers as a whole, is noticed by none other than Microsoft. And they want it. Or at least they want the talent that went into creating it. So in 1999, Microsoft purchases Virtual Worlds Entertainment, which is the company that was created to make the Battletech Centers, and they purchase FASA Interactive. Virtual Worlds Entertainment is sold off to some of the developers that helped work on the project, uh, well, Fassive Interactive becomes uh, Microsoft's Fassa Studio. Now, at this point, the founders of Fassa Corporation, Jordan Wiseman and L. Ross Babcock, they become Microsoft employees. Jordan actually becomes, I didn't know this, I think this is cool, between 99 and 2002, he actually was the creative director of Microsoft Games. you think I would know that at this point. <laughs> but I didn't ever put the two, two and two together, to be honest with you. So, yeah, so Microsoft buys Fassa Studio and Jordan becomes the creative director of all Microsoft games from 99 to 2002. 
not not too shabby. No, no, that's that's a that's a pretty good uh, career trajectory there. And during this period, video games in the BattleTech universe move on. Dave, you have familiarity with one of the next ones. Xbox gets Mech Assault in 2002. What do you remember about Mech Assault? I remember playing Mech Assault at my friend's house. Um, so I'm, let's, let's say, 75% confident that it was Mech Assault and not Mech Assault 2. But I believe it had a multiplayer mode in which you could get out of your mech. Nah, don't quote me on that. But we just we would just run around and blow each other up and, and generally just kind of be, be shitheads and have a good time. Uh, um, yeah. Well, actually, Mech Assault, the original one, was one of the first video games to feature the ability to be played on Xbox Live uh, with other people. We, we I, did not do that. We were not. We didn't have that kind of money. Yeah, well, I mean, at the time, there was no Xbox Live. It was literally one of the first. So I'm sure when that game came out, and everyone's like, Xbox Live, most people cocked their heads sideways and went, what's Xbox Live? So, um, but it was. It was one of the first video games to actually be able to be played on Xbox Live. They released a sequel to it in 2004 called Mech Assault 2 Lone Wolf. And after that, admittedly, Microsoft pretty much abandoned the Battletech license. Um, They made a couple expansions for MechWarrior 4, and they started work on a fifth game in the series. Jordan, those, not Jordan, but a team at Microsoft started work on a fifth game in the series. But that was canceled by Microsoft due to no interest on their part, and they felt from others but jordan stayed busy all these years during his time at microsoft uh actually while working at microsoft he and his team uh one of the units that worked with him actually developed the alternative reality gaming genre the ar genre uh the first game ever in the ar genre that they created was called the beast and it was created to help help promote steven spielberg's film ai as i said he was creative director till 2002 In 2003, he left and founded 42 Entertainment, which was a design company specifically devoted to alternative reality games. And what they're most famous for is an alternative reality game called I Love Bees. Either one of you remember I Love Bees? I love bees or Isle of Bees? I love bees. Beads? Bees. Nope. Like honeybees. I love bees. I <laughs> uh, have never heard of it. No. Rob, do you remember that at all? It's like my favorite game, man. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say that I remember I love bees. My God. That was such a... a uh, it was... Okay. So I love bees was an AR, an alternative reality game that was designed to promote Halo 2. And it was like, I remember it because it was such a thing. Like it was, it's, you know, alternative reality are games that like, you know, you, you, you find weird stuff on websites and you click through it to find more information. You just go down this weird rabbit hole of, you know, uh, websites and journal entries and stuff like this to find out what they're, what, what's at the end of what's at the end of everything. And that I love bees is one of the first things I remember being an AR and it was one of those things where everyone was so confused about what it was. And then when like the reveal came that it was, a, you know, oh, shit, we're announcing Halo 2. It was like the coolest thing ever. I definitely remember I Love Bees. Um, and it also has such a name that stands out and has nothing to do with Halo 2. Like the name doesn't. The, the concept does in the end. But that's where it started. It's like a honeycomb thing. So 
there you go. Little side fun fact. That's wild. I know. So in 2007, Microsoft dissolved Fastest Studio after having it let sit for all these years. And all of the FASA rights were licensed back to Wiseman, who then founded a company called Smith & Tinker with the hopes of making a new MechWarrior game. And he partnered with a longtime fan of the series, a guy named Ross Bullock from Piranha Games, and they collectively got to work on a game called MechWarrior 3015. So they made a prototype, began to pitch it around to various publishers in hope of securing a publishing contract, uh, they made a trailer and put it out in the world, and it was a mess. Dave, do you remember the trailer for Thirty Fifteen at all? Actually, I don't. Yeah, it 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 was. So everyone got excited, and then you know it was discovered that they actually used an unseen model in the freaking trailer. So the company that owned the license at the time, um, I can't remember their name, to be honest with you, uh, actually like filed filed against them. was like, uh-uh, you can't do this. Was was it Harmony Gold? It was, thank you. Yeah, it was Harmony Gold. I appreciate that. I, I, I had the H stuck in my head, but I couldn't remember what it was. Yeah, so Harmony Gold uh, said, uh-uh, we have the rights to these these mechs, and so you can't use it. So between that and they had this prototype for a license that didn't do well in the past and they wanted to make this big, big, huge game. They just they couldn't find anybody that would that would take up the helm. You know, there were some other things like when they licensed the IP or bought it or however you want to put it back from Microsoft. There was a stipulation that said they can only publish these games on Xbox and PC so that meant no Sony platforms. So a lot of publishers didn't like the fact that that eliminated a whole, you know, a whole system that they couldn't port to. And of course, 2008 was the financial bubble collapsing on us. And that just strained everyone. So they couldn't find anyone that wanted to put money into this game. Um, so at that point, Smith and Tinker decides to part ways with Piranha Games. And they went to work on uh, another project. Uh, it was a game called Nanovore, which failed. It was like an online role-playing game designed for kids. It didn't do anything. So Smith and Tinker closed afterwards. But what Piranha Games gained from this whole mess was they now had contacts at Microsoft. Particularly, they got cozy with the, the contacts that helped sell the Battletech license to Smith and Tinker. So they worked with them to get the license. And they scaled the project back to a multiplayer-only game, redesigned everything, and everything is much more manageable in this scale. So they had they had luck finding investors that were willing to invest in that. And that, released in 2013, became MechWarrior Online. Which, Dave, you have played. I, I've put a few hours into that game. It is uh, with, uh, if you're able to drop with some friends, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I have to give the developers credit. They've, you know, li they listen to the fan base and, and um, you know, you said it came out in 2013, so 10 yeah. years on, and it's still being developed and uh, improved. You know, new maps and new content and all that fun stuff. Um, it it feels like a Mech Warrior game, um, but uh, it, it you know you it's it's not fast. You you plot around in a you know when, when a Mech's top speed is 40 kilometers an hour or whatever, you don't exactly move pretty quick. But uh, um, 
man, you can you can burn a lot of hours in that with a good with a good group of friends. That's good. I'm I'm glad to know that they're still supporting it. That 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 concept never really went away. You know, they may have Piranha Games, MechWarrior Online they created, but Jordan Wiseman was also still at it. Smith the Tinker failed. In 2011, he founded yet another video game development studio. This one was called Hairbrained Schemes. After working on a few mobile games, the studio started developing games in their Shadowrun franchise. Shadowrun is another popular uh, licensed game by FASA. Um, And in mid-2015, Hairbrained Schemes started a Kickstarter, because that was the end thing in in that mid-2010s era. My, my wallet says that Kickstarters are still the end thing. <laughs> I I don't pay attention to them at all anymore, to be honest with you. God bless you. Yeah, I know. I tried. Um, so in the mid-2015, uh, Hairbrain Scheme started a Kickstarter for a new title in the Battletech franchise. Now, they had already secured about a million dollars in funding uh, for a new Battletech game, but they felt that they would secure more with the support of the community. Uh, the Kickstarter's initial goal was $250,000. They reached that in an hour and just blew through their, their entire goal. Many of the people who are now working for Hairbrain Schemes, that development team, had, in all honesty, been with Jordan Wiseman from the very beginning. A lot of them worked on FASA Interactive's first title, Mech Commander. Um, and for this addition to the Battletech franchise... They made a conscious decision to create a slower turn-based strategy game. And also, in order to create continuity in the universe at that point, they partnered with uh, Piranha Games and they brought over the art from MechWarrior Online and they brought Piranha Games into help with the game. And in April 2018, we finally got a Battletech video game named Battletech. <laughs> it only took. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it took forever to get an actual game named Battletech. Um, it's a good game. I was going to ask, you play this one? I have, yeah. I haven't beaten it yet. Um, but uh, it is it is uh, very faithful to the tabletop game, um, although you don't you know, roll dice, but like the odds, the, the sort of the mechanics... The game mechanics that are going on behind the scenes are, are fairly faithful to the tabletop game. And uh, it is immersive. It kind of takes place in the periphery, which is um, sort of outside of the major political powers of the Battletech universe. And so it is uh, sort of canon and not canon, and they kind of have some leeway to, to sort of do whatever they want without stepping on anybody's toes and upsetting any of the fans who would, you know, that's not what really happened in 3075 or you know, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, it, uh, you, you capture Max and change him however you want, upgrade them. And, uh, they have neat little cuts, not, I don't say cut scenes, but like, as you're, as you're traveling through space, you'll, you'll get a prompt and it's like, you know, uh, Rob says, Dave was making fun of him in the, in the mess hall. What are you going to do about it? And then you, uh, You'll have to say how you as the captain will resolve the issue, and then maybe there's going to be a morale problem. Maybe somebody leaves your party and you lose a pilot. So it's a it's a uh, a fun a fun game. I'd say the only sort of drawback it has is you can't save or pause in the middle of a fight. 
So um, if you have to run away to like do a, a real life thing in the middle of a battle, you either have to leave your computer running or just lose your progress and start over. So that can be a little bit rough, and that, that's kind of what's prevented me from making a ton of progress in it. But but uh, uh, it's hard to, to get tired of blowing up giant robots with other giant robots. Yeah, it really is. That you know, that's a good segue to the most recent Mech Warrior game, which is Mech Warrior Five Mercenaries, also developed by Piranha Games. You know, the guys that made Mech Warrior Online. Again, consistency in the art, consistency in the universe. If you haven't played it, it's a Game Pass game. Rob, wink, wink. It it is. It's fun. It has, uh, you know, a lot of the same sort of. There's some tropes in Battletech. Uh, I'm sure anyone who's heard of gaming is surprised by that, but uh, it, um, uh, you know, it, it has a predictable start. But again, you know, blowing up robots, picking up the pieces, making new robots. It's it's a good time. It is. It it, it, it um, I I was honestly, if I had a little bit more time this week, I may still install it and play it because it ga- I got the itch going back through all these games. Just go remembering back to Mech Warrior Two and and how much in, of in awe I was of 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 piloting a mech, and I'm curious what that feels like in a modern context. And, and, and to, to the credit of the Mech Warrior Five designers, they have patched it and and you know cleaned up a few things about it. They've released a few DLCs for it, um, and overall, in the, the modding community is fairly active as well. It's uh, it can be multiplayer, so you can bring in a friend to to pilot uh, another mech in your lance. Which, uh, given how bad the AI is, sometimes is pretty needed. But um, it's yeah, it's a it's a it's it's good fun. It definitely sounds like it. I read something. I I I didn't really know where to put this in, but you talked about the five houses and just the history of BattleTech, right? Yes. And I read a, a really fascinating interview with with Wiseman at some point. I'm not I'm not sure where it is, but someone asked him. Maybe it was when one of these modern ones were coming out. Um, someone asked him like where he got inspiration for this. Like, and it was in the context they compared it to like modern fantasy, like Game of Thrones. Literally, that was one of the comparisons, like Game of Thrones and things like that. And Wiseman responded, he's like. Well, we kind of all got it from the same place, didn't we? You know, these are nothing different than all the Roman states that fought amongst one another during their history. And I never really thought about it from that perspective. You know what I mean? I, I have to say I haven't either. And it is, it's spot on. You know, you, you have the sort of the height of the Roman Empire, uh, mm-hmm. which would be equivalent to the Star League. And then it, it falls and fractures and, and uh, everybody's sort of fighting for their little little square of dirt and their little bit of power that they can hold on to. And they, they think of it as a zero sum game. So um, things get, get pretty bloody pretty fast. Yeah. I, it was really fascinating when I came across it. I was like, huh, he's not wrong. Like there are so many games that take that concept that take that concept and, 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 and roll with it. And it's, it is really obvious here. Like when you look at the universe and Alor in, in, in context, you know, that was that was a that was a also cool also with the, the the lost Roman legions. Then you have the clans who yeah. who have left and then come back. So there's yeah, there's definitely uh, it goes deep. It, it definitely does. Big lore, a lot of lot of time, a lot of years to to build up this universe. So 
so many years. You know, that's that's the most recent MechWarrior video game, uh, MechWarrior 5, which you can still play. Jordan Wiseman, for his to his credit, he's still working on games as part of Hairbrain Games. Hairbrain Games now, though, is owned by Paradox Interactive. They were bought, I think, in 2018. One of the big strategy publishers, Paradox Interactive, of course, famous for Crusader King, City Skyline, Europa Universalis, Hearts of Iron, Mountain Blade, Pillars of Eternity, and that's just a few in their library. I mean, they're like the strategy publisher, in my opinion. FASA still exists. They haven't been an active corporation since 2001. What they've done is they retain intellectual property rights and they just kind of license those off, but they don't exist as an active corporation that actually produces anything. RIP FASA. FASA? I'm I'm still mad about it. Are you? Yeah, so they released a miniatures game in 1999 called Vor, the Maelstrom. And uh, it was the second miniatures game I played after uh, Warhammer. And I loved the look of it. It was this weird uh, sort of science fiction world, uh, sort of a a near future alternate future. You know, the Soviet Union still around and there's all these different alien uh, um, species. and, And basically Earth gets sucked into this like cosmic anomaly and we have to duke it out with the other, you know, entities that we find there. Um, the really neat part about it was uh, that it was the first game, to my knowledge, that had rules to play with whatever you wanted to play with. So if you wanted to use your minis from another game, you it had rules to to give them stats in Vor, and then you could play with your friends. And it uh, had a lot of mechanics that, at the time, I think were pretty new and uh, sort of uh, gave people the little weirdsies. Um, you know, because they were kind of used to to um, I go you go back and forth with with miniature games, and this had you know alternating activations and other things. Um, but since 1999, a lot of those things have become much more popular in uh, the tabletop gaming arena. To, to draw this back, uh, Fasa goes under and Vor dies as a result. Uh, one guy owns like the rules and the lore, and someone else owns the art, and uh, we never see it again. Yeah. The company that I had mentioned or that I had alluded to previously still makes and sells the minis for it, and so I'll never buy them for reasons. Uh, but I do own all of the books, all the rule books that ever came out for the game because uh, they're pretty awesome. They had like uh, I'm, I'm gonna nerd out for a second. Uh, they had a whole list of like random happenings that could happen in your scenario. So, you know, you and I would be playing, you got your army, you got my army. We'd, we'd roll on the table and uh, maybe like an alien monster appears. And so we thought we were going to play one scenario. Now we have to fight this monster. There's actually a result on the table that your game could end due to, due to a uh, nuclear missile strike. I'm sorry, a missile strike? A nuclear missile strike. Not just a regular <laughs> missile strike. A nuclear missile strike. Just, just immediate end game. Yeah, so like you would at, at a you know after let's just say like turn five or whatever you roll on this chart to see what happens and it would say oh well the game ends, you all die. I don't know if I like that very much. I mean, you you laugh about it and then you roll again and keep playing is what you do. Yeah, so. true enough. Yeah. Speaking of since we're on the miniatures topic, I I don't know why I didn't think to bring this up because I could get you going here. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> One of the endeavors, well, so we're talking about FASA and FASA not existing, and this I'm kind of segueing into what happened with the Battletech license. I didn't talk about one of Jordan Wiseman's other endeavors, and I'm curious if you have any familiar familiarity with it, uh, because in, I think it was 97, 
he started WizKids, the company. Yep. And they made Clicks, were they called? Uh, they made Hero Clicks. I believe they made Mage Knight. Uh, they've they've done a number of other games. They did the Mech Warrior Dark Age, which is the collectible click based Mech Warrior game that that was popular for a few years. Um, I played Hero Clicks for a bit. It just ended up kind of not really being my thing, and I I gave them to a, a neighbor uh, who was pretty thrilled to have them. Um, you know, I, I've always kind of found the various click games to be. Uh, interesting but never really something i wanted to do so the battletech license was licensed out the whiz kid for a hot minute i because you said they did the dark age right yeah they did dark age and that's a, a bit controversial for various reasons but uh it, it was popular um i never got into it again one of those things where i looked at it and i was like man those are pretty but uh that's gonna make make dave a poor poor person yeah. so i i didn't um, what I do remember was, uh, for some, if not all of the run of dark age, the, you could get a feel for the rarity of the contents within a package by feeling how heavy it was relative to others. And in general, the heavier it was, the rarer it was. Uh, and so people were, were going into stores and with just scales probably <laughs> not with scales, but they would just pick up all the boxes and buy the heaviest ones. And in general, we're getting the rarest mechs. So uh, any, any store with a manager paying attention kept all the stuff behind the counter and they would hand you a box, but you, they wouldn't let you touch it in advance. Oh, that's clever. Well, that is pretty smart actually. Yeah, that's pretty clever. Yeah. So the Battletech license with the whiz kids and it, it changed hands. Eventually it ended up in the hands of a company called catalyst game labs. That is a company created in 2007 for the sole purpose of publishing print, uh, shadow run and Battletech source books and catalyst game labs is still doing it to this day. The, not only are they still doing it to this day, they're, uh, releasing another Kickstarter at the end of the month going, going live during the first day of Adepticon. They've been updating. Have they been updating things? I know they keep releasing uh, beginner Battletech boxes. I know another one I saw came out in 2022. They, yeah, they're, they're still, like I said, they, they, they've done, uh, they did a Kickstarter for new plastic miniatures. They are pre-built, uh, which is not, they're, they're, they're pre-built and they're on the base. So they're basically ready to play. You just have to prime them and paint them if that's your thing. Um, a lot of that, that's not really uh, it's becoming more common, but that's that's not traditional for for tabletop war games. Um, they they did uh their their first Kickstarter was for sort of the the great houses of the inner sphere, and then their second one was for the clans, and their third one that's coming out later this month is for uh, the like mercenaries and things like that. Um, but one of the things that I've always kind of admired about the Battletech community in general and in catalyst games continues. This is they're they're pretty laissez faire about just, just play the game. Don't, don't worry about where you get your manis from. So there's a, a whole cottage industry of people who uh, 3d sculpt their own mechs or their own variations on mechs and 3d print them and sell them. So you can, uh, you know, hop on Etsy or any number of places and, you know, buy not just a Warhammer, but, the uh, uh, the mech warhammer but you can also get like the specific one with the loadout that you like 
I hadn't even thought about that. 3D printing revolutionized miniatures. Is it revolutionizing miniatures? Yeah, it's... Um, it is... It's definitely revolutionizing miniatures. It is it is making new companies really rethink how they enter the market because people want want it exactly how they want it. Yeah. And if they buy if you sell them the STL, the the print file, they'll make it how they want it. And so I I've bought 3D printed minis that were sculpted at one scale and I had somebody shrink them down or make them bigger or switch out a weapon or something. There's, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot to, of, of internet sleuthing to find it, but um, entire websites dedicated to sculptors who either uh, maybe through like a Patreon or something will will release new models monthly. Um, some of these models have have rules for specific games or the creators make their own games. Some of them are just sort of like, I don't know, I think this is a cool dude with the gum. Do, do whatever you want with him. <laughs> That's great. I hadn't even thought about about the 3d printing's effect on that that hobby that is that is so fascinating yeah i hadn't even considered it i have a box of 3d printed minis behind me and then i also have about a half dozen or a dozen battletech minis uh right next to me right now so (laughs) in addition to a number of other games that's that's fantastic speaking of additions if tabletop gaming isn't your thing there are other ways to experience the battletech universe of course we covered the history of all their video games today uh if you're into books there are more than a hundred tie-in novels that are that are set in the battletech universe um there have been licensed comic books produced over the years Uh, 1994 fox had a 13 episode animated battletech series dave was that any good That says it all right there. Maybe don't watch that. Uh, okay, so here's here's the 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 beauty of that series. It's awful, um, and and was adopted into the canon of the BattleTech lore as propaganda. <laughs> so it, it, in in the BattleTech universe, that cartoon was broadcast as entertainment and is considered to be propaganda. <laughs> Wow. Okay, well, so if you want to watch propaganda in the Battletech universe, watch the 1994 it, Fox animated Battletech series. Or or don't. It's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, a lot of mid-90s cartoons on licensed IPs were questionable. Listen, it, it, as long as you're not talking about Biker Mice from Mars or any of the other, you know, Flash in the Pan yeah they were wild i do miss saturday morning cartoons like that concept though hey hey fun fact and tangentially related to battletech for a few reasons um you can watch exo squad on peacock for free you need an account but you don't need to pay anything so if you want to watch a a gritty uh early 90s um mech cartoon that wasn't wasn't battletech but kind of was but sort of not really uh you can watch exo squad okay exo squad it is yeah unless i'm forgetting something dave that's 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 BattleTech. yeah they also have a role-playing game if that's uh you know your your cup of tea although it, it sort of um you know it, uh, ties into the tabletop game and you can kind of mix and match as as you want 
um, if you want to experience a tabletop game without uh, investing into the you know the, the necessary infrastructure there's a, uh, a program called megamech which basically lets you pl- play the tabletop game on your computer well battletech has quite a history and some of its games are tied to other games like the topic for today our inspiration for doing a battletech game the crescent hawks inception was created by westwood associates as we noted westwood associates also did uh, Command and Conquer, and Dune 2. And these are both games that we've done old episodes on. Of course, if you want to check out these episodes, you can do so by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. And Rob, what else can people find on our website? Well, Dave, they can also find calendars of both previous and future episodes. Ooh. You can find a little blurb about Dave and not really me, because nope. I don't like to write. Nope. Uh, you know, links to our social media, such as, uh, you know, Patreon, our discord server, where we talk about games and post cool stuff from the episodes, uh, and links to, uh, Dave and I's social medias again, Again. which Dave, Oh, I'm David is I'm David is wrong. I, I just go on the internet and spew out wrong things. That's the best way to get the right answer. (laughs) whether or not that's the wrong information or just things that when it comes out of my mouth you go damn that's just wrong that's for you to decide (laughs) rob Rob, 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 what about you what are you doing on social media well i am on twitch.tv forward slash f-a-t-b-o-i-r-i-p-z I already know the answer for Dave. He's on the social media network known as going outside and experiencing life. <laughs> yeah, Unlike... I don't. I, I no no uh, yeah. uh, significantly public facing social media for me. But if you have a hot take or beef with my characterization of something I said today, uh, you can find me on the uh, Discord, Ricard Lane Discord channel. You can. He was. You were one of the first of our friends to join. Well, so. thank you. And 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 you typically are one of the few ones that stick that like speak up and tell me things. So, yeah, like, not, sometimes I'll just text you that you're wrong. But that's yeah. it. Well, you do that. <laughs> you do that a lot. <laughs> if you would stop being wrong, I'd stop doing it. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's a lot of information to cover every week. I I sometimes just don't try, honestly. So yeah. Well, each week, we teach about a topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. This week, we learn all about the Battletech universe. Uh, From beginning to end, the history of Battletech, the history of Battletech video games, it has been all things Battletech today, which was a lot of fun, to be honest with you. One of the best things about doing this podcast week in, week out, is as we teach you things, we learn them. I did not know nearly this much about Battletech before I sat down to do my research for today's episode, and that is the most fulfilling part for me every week, as I get to learn all these fun things while teaching them to you, our dear listeners. The teaching-learning cycle, fantastic. It's part of our commitment to it. We like to go roundtable and talk about our biggest takeaways. What did we learn this week? Dave, as our guest, I'm going to start with you. Did you learn anything today? I did, yeah. The the uh, the tightly woven connection between 
the Battletech games and ultimately you know, Microsoft and various various games that they've developed. I, I did not know that it was that uh, that connected, um, and pretty interesting to to learn that. Rob, what did you learn today? Uh, I think that the most interesting fact for me is the existence of Battletech centers. Um, yeah, that yeah. sounds fucking incredible. That sounds so cool. Like, obviously, I've been to arcade game arcades that have the the normal cabinets and VR and stuff. But like, to my understanding, these are entire centers dedicated around this one game and pods that you could sit in that were interactive with that. So it's all simulators for the same game all together. Like, that's just freaking cool. I just think it's I just think it's cool. The concept of a of uh, like you like a dedicated like we're dedicated to this game, this fandom, this universe come into our center and pilot a Dave. How many stories tall are these? Oh, God. Anywhere from like two to five. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean, four story tall mech, five story tall. I mean, that's just cool. That's cool. It, it, it is super cool. So, um, yeah, so for me, I really enjoyed, I didn't, I never really understood how interwoven Jordan Wiseman as the creator of Battletech was with the, the video game Battletech universe. Um, you know, he, he, there's so many people that create game, like let's take Dungeons and Dragons, Let's be honest. They created Dungeons and Dragons, and then those guys' video games. They that that Dungeons and Dragons is a video game, kind of took on a world of its own. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But Jordan was interested in making video games in the very beginning, and that that notion never left him. And he 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 dropped in and dropped out of it. But throughout the history of BattleTech, he kind of always had a part in doing something video game related with Battletech. I mean, they created the virtual world entertainment in the eighties, like late eighties, you know? So not too long after Battletech came out and just, he went from virtual reality to video game development and back and forth. And I, I just didn't know he was so interwoven with the franchise as it transitioned over to video games. That was really fascinating for me to, to kind of see how that played out. So yeah, that's my takeaway. And we did it. Congratulations. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, David, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for I, having me, Dave. Rob. I knew I knew I picked the right person when you said, I'm going to nerd out on miniatures right now. <laughs> medium, I, I, medium battle tech fan my ass. i mean yeah i get what you're saying but still like l- listen if some of my friends heard me describe myself as a medium battle tech fan they, they'd say that was an overstatement so. <laughs> they'd uh, go they'd go that's giving him a little too much credit yeah i so. think i think the the sort of the the interesting thing to take away from a uh uh, you know, of course, you know you introduce new topics as you wrap up the episode. But the interesting th- thing to take away from Battletech is, you know, ultimately its roots are in a lot of the giant robot anime. Yeah. Um, and to see just kind of how pervasive giant robots have been, uh, whether it's you know like Titanfall or Steel Battalion or Armored Core or any number of other, you know, like you can't 
if you go into the sci-fi universe and some fantasy ones and you throw a rock, you're going to hit a giant robot. And it is, uh, you know, in no small small part because of Battletech. Dave, last opportunity. Anything else that you'd like to add to today's episode? I think I about covered it, but uh, uh, just thanks for having me. It's been a, been a pleasure. Yes, absolutely. Rob, what would you like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, I do got to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, it's wonderful having you along for the ride, and we hope you continue to enjoy listening. And a special thanks to Dave for joining us, longtime listener, first time joiner. But it's been a pleasure having you. You know, it's uh, it was great having an expert on this to talk to Dave, expert. even though it gets a little confusing for me to, you know, Dave and Dave and you legion of you, Daves. you, we imagine are us. I mean, you know who Dave is. If you're saying Dave, you're not talking about yourself in the third person. Man, things get weird sure? sometimes. I mean, okay, you you might be right. Maybe you do talk about yourselves in third person. So I guess I, mean, I could we, see why that would be confusing. We have gone on double dates. It does get confusing. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's weird sometimes, but it's fun. Oh, boy. Yeah, definitely fun. Well, on that note, I'm going to take it into next week. Because next week, guys, we're getting weird with it. And we're going to learn about some of the oddest video games that we could find. These include games about semen, train spotting, <laughs> mosquitoes, and sticking your fingers up someone's butt. No joke. It's a hell of a bunch of video games, and we're going to cover them all. So stick around and join us as we go all the way out there on yet another trip down memory card lane. Just think. Skibidim dap 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 doo doo. Ba da.